this is Jason Wood, the VA loan guy, with another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. Today we have a special guest, Justin Lee, who is an F-35 fighter pilot in the Air Force and also has his own podcast called The Professional's Playbook. We're super honored that he was going to carve out some time for us today and share with us a little bit about what he does. So, uh, Justin, thanks for coming on the show, man. Jason, it's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, Justin and I were talking just a little bit before the show, and he's living my dream right now. So, the whole reason I got into the military was to go fly fighter jets, and my career path didn't take me that way. Um, but I'm super interested to know about your career path and, and what it's like. I mean, you're flying the, the newest, hottest airplane in the sky right now. So, um, tell us a little bit about your, your pilot path. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome to be able to fly the F-35 right now. I wanted to be a pilot since I was five years old. So I went uh, to an air show. My parents took me to see the Thunderbirds. And from then on out, I knew I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And it's kind of tough when you're young. There's not a lot you can do to, I guess, further yourself in becoming a, a pilot until about high school. Once I got to high school, I started flying some Cessna 152s. I remember it's, it's not cheap, so I worked at McDonald's to be able to pay for it. So it's a lot of McFlurries that you have to make to be able to <laughs> afford an hour of flying in the Cessna. But from there, I went to the Air Force Academy, four-year school, and got selected for a pilot slot from there. Went to Vance, Oklahoma, where I learned how to fly high-performance jet. Started with the prop plane, so the T6 Texan II. It's, oh. it's almost like a P-51 Mustang. I think it's 1,100 horsepower, turboprop airplane, and it was awesome. I, I didn't love school. I didn't love the academic nature. But once I got to flying uh, jets, you're graded every day on it, and I just had a blast doing that. And so you do that for six months and then you go on to fly the T-38, which is a supersonic jet trainer. It was designed in the fifties and really, uh, really aerodynamic, not a lot of power, tiny engines. So it can go fast, but uh, it's very difficult to land. So did that for six months. And then at the end of that, I got selected to fly the F-16 and then came out here to Phoenix, Arizona, Luke Air Force Base, learned how to fly the F-16. And from there I went to South Korea, uh, spent a year and a half there, uh, learning how to fly uh, the F-16, became a full mission uh, qualified wingman. And from there went to Shaw Air Force Base, learned how to fly the Block 50. It's the wild weasel mission. So we go and take out uh, enemy SAMs, deployed to Afghanistan, Afghanistan out of there. And when I was in Afghanistan, I found out I was gonna transition to the F-35. And I've been flying right. the F-35 here at Luke, teaching that next generation of pilots how to fly the F-35 and, uh, and loving it. So um, I got to ask, what, what's it like flying a fighter jet? It's awesome. It's just a kick in the butt. Like these jets, the Gs, I think, are the thing that don't translate really well to TV. So right now I weigh about 200 pounds, one, one G. And if you've ever been on a roller coaster that kind of pushes your head down, that's probably about three and a half Gs. And we'll fly up to nine Gs in the F-16 and the F-35. And so with my gear on about 230 pounds at nine G's, that's over 2000 pounds of force on your body. And so all that blood in your head is being pushed into your extremities and you start to see the world shrink. And so initially you see a little bit of black on the edges. And then by the time you're at nine G's, it looks like a soda straw. And you're just trying to push that blood back into your brain. You have a G suit that's squeezing your legs and you're just hoping you don't pass out. Cause if you pass out, then you're probably gonna be incapacitated for about 30 seconds. And the speeds we fly, it takes about 20 seconds to impact the ground. So 
it can be uh, life and death, making sure you don't pass out. So it's a, it's a kick in the butt. It's a great time. That's awesome. And what's the, what's the structural integrity on the plane, like the, the max that the plane can handle? The plane, I think, can handle F-16. They design it to 1.5 times, uh, so a little bit of cushion. And then the F-35, I think, because computer modeling got a little bit better, it's designed to, I think, 1.3 times. That's awesome. And then, um, I mean, I'm just an avid pilot. I, I um, obviously was trying to go that path and flew little Cessnas and stuff. And just being a fan of aviation, looking at that airplane, it, it seems to me that it's even more maneuverable than like the F-16 was. Is that right? Uh, in certain aspects. But the thing is, the paradigm has kind of, it's changed quite a bit. So back in the 60s, it was all about how high and how fast you can go. It was all like, you know, Mach 2.5, 60,000 feet. A lot of times they had nuclear tipped uh, interceptors going after the Rus you know, Cold War Russian bombers. And then it transitioned. John Boyd came around with his energy management theory. And now it was how fast you could turn. And F-16 was born out of that. It's a stripped down hot rod designed to turn extremely tight. But we've since transitioned to fifth generation fighters. And that's the F-22 and the F-35. And it's all about being stealth. It's all about having good sensors, fusing all that data together. And F-16, we had a lot of people, unfortunately, run into mountains because they were so busy offering their radar or other sensors because it, there's no fusion. So every sensor has a different screen. And as a pilot, you're looking around all over the place and your brain is fusing that information. These fit gen fighters, they fuse that information into just a clean red dot if it's a bad guy, green dot if it's a good guy. And then we're, we're gonna be flying with a lot of fourth gen fighters, F-16s and F-15s that were designed in the 70s for the next, for at least the next 20 years, probably 30 years to the late 2040s. So our job is to be a quarterback out there. We have a lot of situational awareness and help out the, uh, the F-16s and F-15s out there. That's really cool. Um, so in light of, I guess, the Top Gun movie, um, so top, the original Top Gun was probably one of the biggest draws for me in wanting to fly a fighter jet, right? I mean, the F-14 Tomcat was, there was nothing cooler in my eyes. All my book reports in school are on that airplane, you know, and, and all that stuff. But um, this summer, provided everything goes out normal after this um, virus thing, we have Top Gun 2 coming out. And um, for the aviation fanatics out there and, and those of the military, I think that's a pretty exciting thing. Um, how, does that, how does that translate to you guys that are actually doing it for a living? Do you guys um, anticipate any extra attention on yourselves or um, a, a rush in recruiting in the military, anything when, when this movie launches? Well, unfortunately, I just found out yesterday that they're pushing it back to December. So oh. it's no longer this summer, which I guess makes sense with the whole coronavirus. But uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be a big draw. We'll see how good it is. But definitely in the first one, there are a lot of fighter pilots that grew up to that, myself included. And I think that's a primary reason that a lot of people became pilots. So one of the best recruiting things that any service has done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so now you also, um, I guess in your spare time, you have a podcast that you run as well, right? I do. It's called the Professionals Playbook, and I just try to have on guests who are at the top of their field, and they share their tips. So I had on, uh, let's see, I had an astronaut. I had Scott Perzinski. He's been to space five times, and so he came on, shared his tips for high performance. I had on, uh, 
let's see, Brick Caldwell, he's Thunderbird number one. So he's in charge of the Thunderbirds. He flies the number one jet. And so he goes on and talks about what it takes, what they do, what their debriefs are like. And then I've also had on other guests, non-pilots, like uh, Chris Voss, FBI negotiator. And he wrote uh, Never Split the Difference, one of the top business books out there. And he talks about the negotiation skills that they use in the FBI uh, for, to recover hostages. So uh, yeah, it's been a fun, fun journey. It's been out for about a year and a half. And uh, I didn't have any experience. So I've, a lot of times it felt like pushing the boulder 10 feet up only for it to roll five feet back. But I got a pretty good flow now. And it's, uh, it's a great time. It's kind of my hobby right now. That's really cool. Um, what's one of the, the most resounding things you've taken away from one of your guests that you've implemented in your life? I think the biggest thing is they all have a lot of mental toughness. So all of them have had a lot of obstacles to overcome over their life. And they're able to balance seeing the objective way off in the distance, but still being able to get after it every day. And just, you know, when we were in the military, we would do some rucking at the Air Force Academy. And the trick to that was just looking at your feet. Don't look off at the mountain that you have to climb. Just look at your feet. And before you know it, you'll be at that mountain. Otherwise, you might get intimidated by looking far out. So I think they're able to balance that, having a dream, and then being able to just every day put together a hardworking day to try to make it towards that goal. That's really cool. Yeah, some really awesome guests you've had too. Um, what is, you know, like the, the training regimen? I mean, you mentioned you had uh, the uh, Thunderbirds uh, leader on there. You know, how does training regimen for one of those kind of pilots versus versus what you guys train for, how does that differ? And when I mean training, not only just the flight training, which I'm asking about too, but also, you know, kind of like just the physical conditioning and stuff. How, how do those, do they parallel at all? Or, or what differences do you know about? Yeah, physical conditioning parallels a lot. So we talked to the Gs, pulling nine Gs is, is tough. It's right on the human limit. And if you, if your body's not up to that, you can pass out and kill yourself. So we do a lot of stuff making sure to sleep well, getting eight hours of sleep. It's actually illegal, uh, legally in between flights, you have to have 12 hours with eight hours of uninterrupted rest. So we try to sleep well, try to eat well, healthy, try to work out a lot, especially the legs to be able to squeeze that blood back up. A lot of cardio to, to push that up. Try to stay hydrated. Just being 2% dehydrated can reduce your G tolerance by 20%. So all these little things add up and all these things can subtract too. So Right now, I might be able to pull 11 and a half Gs, but you know, if I didn't sleep well, if I didn't eat well, if I'm not hydrated, now maybe my body's at eight and a half, and it just takes one time to, to not be up to that full nine Gs to uh, end up killing yourself. So that parallels quite a bit, the, the physical uh, regimen that we go through. They do quite a bit of different things. So they are, what they do is they utilize a fighter in order to translate it to the audience. Whereas we're using a fighter tactically to go ahead and uh, uh, accomplish objectives. So what they do isn't really tactically relevant, but they are using all the same processes. So we, one of the things that we really emphasize as fighter pilots is debriefing. So we will only fly for about an hour and a half, but then we will debrief between two and six hours, that hour and a half. Flight. Oh, wow. And we're going through every little thing. We're not patting ourselves on the back too much. We're spending 90% of the time on the 10% that didn't go well. So we dig through every little thing and we'll play the same radio call sometimes 10 times just to try and figure out exactly what happened and exactly what the student should do differently. 
And so we'll, we'll go through and see uh, whether it's a perception error. So they are building a mental model, you know, and now I'm going through with students. So we'll teach them, you want to perceive the world around you with your ears, with your eyes, you're listening to the radio, to GCI, that's the, the airborne AWACS that's, that's feeding you a picture. You're looking with your eyes at the radio, at the radar scope and other things in your cockpit, and you're building this mental model around you. Now you're trying to make a good decision. So we have a lot of tactics in, uh, in that 35 and in fighters in general, and they're almost like plays in a NFL playbook. And so once you perceive the world around you, you are trying to choose the correct tactic to, to use. And then once you choose that correct tactic, now you have to execute it. So a couple different things uh, for how we teach uh, new students how to fly the F-35. That's really, really cool. Um, and I imagine when you guys are doing the debrief, you're pulling all sorts of analytics from the airplane and stuff because it can probably provide you a ton of information, right? Yeah, that's helped out quite a bit. So in the past, we didn't have all this information to us. Now we have tons of data that's available and that helps out tremendously. We can see where the pilot's even looking. And so we couldn't do that in the F-16. And it helps out a lot to be able to see where the student is looking uh, after the fact, because when you're flying, you're max performing your brain. You don't have a lot of brain bites to be able to memorize what you're doing. So what the student would say would often be extremely different from what they were actually doing. So now having that data, we can get a realistic picture, which helps out tremendously in the debrief. Oh yeah, I can imagine. Um, now does the Air Force, do they have, you know, I mean, we're familiar with Top Gun and the Top Gun school that the Navy has. Does the Air Force have anything that's comparable? They do, they have the fighter weapons school. So they have a weapons school where everybody uh, goes to that and it's a six month course. And uh, afterwards people become weapons officers, kind of the lead tactic person of their squadron. Oh, cool, cool. Um, so what, if you're, what would the conversation be like at the bar with a, with a Air Force fighter pilot and a Navy fighter pilot? Well, that's, I'm actually pretty, uh, pretty familiar with that. My brother is an F-18 pilot. Oh, there you go. He's, he's stationed in Japan. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten a chance to fly against each other or with each other yet. But, uh, you know, that's one of the misconceptions about Top Gun, I think, is that we're all really arrogant and, you know, always beating our chest. But the thing is, we go and execute together as a team when we go to battle. So it's not just my four ship or another two ship out there. We're actually as a team coming together. And that's the fighter guys. That's the ISR guys, those are the surveillance uh, planes out there. That's cyber guys and girls. All of us are coming together to be a team. And oftentimes they want somebody like an F-35 pilot with a lot of situational awareness due to their jet to be in charge of these teams. So we're ultimately leaders out there. And if you're an arrogant leader and you're talking up your jet and uh, talking down other people's jets, then uh, you're going to kind of piss them off and you're not going to get the most out of the team. So there is banter in the bar, especially, but when we actually, you know, actually go to war, we're a, we're a pretty good team. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I can only imagine. Um, well, do you guys, um, is there an opportunity ever for you and your brother to fly with or against each other in some sort of um, situation like practice or anything? Yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of integration exercises. So okay. we'll do uh, probably the biggest one is red flag. So back in Vietnam, they found that, if a pilot could just make it to their 10th sortie in combat, they had a much higher chance of living. And so they, they decided to get that experience in a training environment and Red Flag was born, where 
all the fighter squadrons come into one town. And it, now it's not just fighter squadrons, it's, it's everybody comes into Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. And then they train together as a team, simulating that combat environment. So unfortunately, he's, he's in Japan right now. So he hasn't had a chance to, to go to one of these exercises, but hopefully he will pretty soon. That's really exciting. That's got to be, it's going to be kind of fun too, just to be in the air with everybody, you know, and, and, and simulating that and just trying to work it together. And even cooler that you guys are kind of thrust into a little bit more of a leadership role because of your airplane airplane. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it is. It is tough, especially, I mean, the contracts that we have to develop. So the contracts are how we all execute together. And usually we'll, we'll do mission planning the day before and we'll figure out exactly how we're going to solve this tactical problem. And then we'll go out and fly. And usually these exercises last about three weeks. And you can see a tremendous improvement over those three weeks in terms of our communication, in terms of operating together. Because most of the time we're, we're operating as individual platforms. So the F-35s, we train out here at Luke. We have a bunch of F-16s too, since that's the plane that the F-35ers were placing. So we'll be able to train together, but we don't get a chance to train too much with the Navy guys. We don't get a chance to train too much with F-15 uh, guys. So it's, it's good to be able to get the whole team together, especially inner service. So we'll have Marines out there. We'll have Navy out there. We'll have international uh, countries out there. We'll have, uh, I've flown with the, uh, with the British, flown with the, the French, flown with all kinds of different, different people out there. And so it's great to all get on the same sheet of music because when we go to war, it's everybody together uh, working together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to imagine, I mean, I know, you know, Top Gun, the original movie is kind of predicated on like dogfighting and stuff is, is there as much training and preparation for that? I, it kind of seems like with the way the world has advanced that maybe dogfighting is a little bit lesser used of an ability, like in the time of war. What, what do you say about that? Yeah, it, it's much less important than it used to be. So I think we kind of jumped the gun on that in Vietnam, building the F4 had no gun on it and the missiles failed quite a bit uh, back then. So we jumped the gun on that platform, but since then, yeah, it, the dogfight has really decreased in, in priority. So it's again, going back to those fifth gen assets, stealth, good sensors, sensor fusion, things like that. Now it's still important to be able to dogfight, but it's definitely like a tertiary role of fighters now. And that's difficult to get across to the general public because the general public sees these air shows and they're trying to max perform aerodynamically, trying to turn tight, trying to do things like that. So these other variables don't really translate well to an air show. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so how long, how long do you plan on staying in? So I've been in for about, uh, about 11 years, but at the end of this year, I'm transitioning to the reserves. And fortunately, they have a reserve F-35 squadron out here. So I'm going to be doing the exact same thing in the exact same squadron. I'm just going to change my patches and I'll be flying half the month with them. And what that allows me to do is I don't have to move around ever again. I can stay here at Luke Air Force Base nice. and I can also fly. So most, most of our careers are limited to, to 20 years. But if I do this, it will gain me another about 20 years. I'll be able to fly for 30 years if my body can hold up to it. So we, sure. the helmet's pretty heavy at nine G's. It's 135 pounds on the neck. So it's wow. like a, a barbell and two 45 pound plates. So we have a lot of older pilots with back and neck issues, but if, if my body can hold up to it, I'll be able to fly that 35 until my early fifties, which would be pretty cool. Oh, that would be awesome. 
That would be really awesome. Um, so what's if you're flying half the time, uh, uh, once you get over to the reserves, then uh, what's the plan with the rest of your time? Well, I, I really like the podcast. I really like speaking. Uh, the way I got into the podcast was I gave a speech in the city of Carefree. They were looking for a speaker on Memorial Day who had been to combat. And so I went there, I gave the speech, and then there's a woman in the audience who worked for the Veterans Heritage Project. And so what they do is it's their nonprofit. They have veterans come into schools and talk about what we do. And so from there, I thought the podcast would be a good opportunity to uh, to expand the message. And I, I love doing that. I love being able to, to talk to the, the kids. I think between 15 and 25 years old is, is a really important age, at least for becoming a a fighter pilot, it's really important to make sure you do the right steps because there's that narrow window to, uh, to do it. So I, I really enjoyed doing that. And I think that's, that's the path I'm going to, I'm going to go on. Oh, I love that. I love that. What, um, what would you say to a 15 year old kid who, who's dreaming of flying a fighter pilot and, you know, is, is coachable and, and willing to, to follow some, um, some guidance, what would you say to a kid like that? I would say figure out the path you want to go. There's a couple different paths. You can go to the Air Force Academy. You can go to ROTC. Over a thousand colleges offer ROTC. And oftentimes they'll pay for your full school. So you can go to ROTC. You can do OTS if you've officer training school, if you've already graduated from college. And then the last way, the X factor that I didn't even know about until I got to pilot training was you can go to the Guard. So you can apply directly to a Guard base. And they work for the state as opposed to us, active duty work uh, federally. And so you'll know what plane you fly. You still have to do pretty well in pilot training because we had a couple guys wash out, but uh, you'll go back to your guard base and you'll know what jet you're gonna fly. So those are different ways to become a pilot. I would recommend playing a sport. We get a lot of, we give and get a lot of feedback as fighter pilots. So these debriefs are pretty, uh, pretty intense and we'll go through every error that you made. And I think it's important to develop that thick skin in, in high school or before. And I think sports does a good job of uh, analyzing what you're doing and getting feedback. It also builds mental toughness. So you're on high pressure environments and you have to be able to adapt and call smart audible. So playing a sport I think is pretty important and, uh, and good, getting good grades is going to be important as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, especially in, in high school, you know, the, um, the intensity of the sports ticks up, you know, now from the, the youth leagues and stuff. And, um, yeah, I can totally see how that translates into starting to create some of that thick skin and, and develop that, that, um, that resilience, right. To being able to take some of that criticism and, and apply it. Mm -hmm. That's really awesome. Um, any plans to, uh, to go fly commercial? I might, I, I don't know. Um, Right now they're offering quite a bit in terms of money and benefits. Although now who knows with the, uh, yeah, with the current nice. airline situation, but before they're having massive airline pilot shortage because all the baby boomers are retiring now. So they're offering quite a bit, but um, I don't know. I'm still trying to, trying to figure that out. It would set my family up pretty well financially, but uh, I don't know. There might be a, there might be a, a thing out there where, I can fly a little bit part-time flying F-35s, part-time doing airline stuff, and then part-time doing the podcast. So I'm still trying to figure that out right now. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. A lot to balance, but um, yeah, really doable. How Now, do they have you guys, now that we're in the uh, kind of the thick of the coronavirus right now, 
Um, do they have you guys flying at all? Or are you guys kind of locked down for the mo uh, moment? Or how's that looking for you? We're still flying. It's, uh, it's important to get the pilots through. So I'm an instructor here. So we're teaching, teaching new pilots how to fly the F-35. And so we're always max performing the training schedule so that we have pilots for, for the Air Force. And so it's kind of a national strategic asset to, be, to keep the pipeline open. So we're still, still pushing through and still uh, making new pilots. Right now, I'm not flying. My wife was due on Monday, so we're waiting for the baby any moment. So if I have to leave right now, that'll be that'll be what's going on. So we're <laughs> we're waiting on that, and I'm I'm not flying right now because I I didn't want to miss my child's birth because I I had to be quarantined. Well, that's totally understandable. Congratulations, too. That's super exciting. Thank you. Um, how many kids will you have after this one? This is the first one. Oh, numero uno. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is awesome, man. Well, I'm super happy for you. Um, fatherhood is a, is a really, really cool experience. And um, I'm sure you have a lot of good practical um, applications to provide, you know, given your training and your background and stuff to help raise an awesome child. But um, do you guys know the, are you having a boy or a girl yet? It's a boy. It's a right boy. on. All right. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. man. That's so great. Super excited for you guys. We well, yeah, definitely don't want to miss the birth of any child, especially the first one. Um, but that's, that's really cool. I'm happy for you. Um, well, um, we're, we're coming up on our time today and I want to just say a special thanks to you, Justin, for carving out some time for us. Um, I know you have a lot on your plate teaching people and helping defend our nation. So, um, my hat's off to you, sir, for, for all you do for us and, um, rocking it on your podcast and, uh, a daddy to be. So thank you so much. We appreciate having you on the, on the show today. Well, thanks Jason. It's a pleasure to be on. Awesome. Congrats. Take care.